0: Well, as you we take our Bibles, let's get under the weight of the Word. It's the, say it with me, church, the Word that does the... And what a beautiful position to to be in. Don't, wouldn't you agree as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, just get under the Word and let it kind of lay its authority on your life? And it's a, it's just a wonderful place when you realize that God's working in your life and the power of His Word is changing you and, and refining your character. It's a... It's a great place to be. And so we want to continue to be in that posture, even as we continue our walk through Philippians chapter 3. The common question that I've received over the last two weeks there have been other ones, but the one that I have gotten the most has centered around this question So, where do our works fit? it would sound something like this. Where do our works go? One person wrote, so where do we place our works? In other words, more people are wondering, well, Todd, we've spent two weeks making sure our works are six feet under. And the church says, amen. When it comes to salvation and God's grace, the equation does not include our works. But the question is then, well, Todd, where do our works go? Where are they placed? What part do they play? How do they fit? It's a legitimate question. And that's the question I think Paul answers in the next set of verses that takes us up to about verse 15. He actually shows us and teaches us not only how those works come about, but the order in which they should exist and gives us some really good insight into our works which follow Christ's work. Let's look together at it, can not we? Philippians chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 12. I will admit to you that we are doing some catch-up here. This is really like one message in three parts for the last three weeks. So if you're new, um, somewhat of an apology maybe is in order to say if you feel like you're being uh, strung along or hurried along. It's not intentional, but we have just really taking our time through these verses. And so we're in verses 12 to 15. Um, I'd encourage you to hear the last two weeks as we've really tried to understand more about what is the gospel? What does it mean to be a true Christian? Because that is the well we must drink from if we're going to truly rejoice in the Lord. That was the exhortation in chapter three, verse one. Rejoice in the Lord, not a false joy, not a pseudo kind of joy, but genuine, authentic joy comes from the genuine, authentic gospel. And I think now we're going to see what this genuine, authentic gospel does after it saves us. Verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. You can just already sense the continuation of the paragraph can't you just kind of jumping right into this statement which begins with a negative he said something has not happened he hasn't reached the goal circle the word goal synonymous with that would be the words already perfect so there's a goal out there when paul says i will be made perfect but that's not happened yet that's what's mentioned really in verse 11 you look look backwards for a moment Paul says he will one day somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, that phrase simply means he'll be in heaven. He'll reach eternity. He will be with Christ personally in Christ's presence. The $10 word for that is called glorification. Uh, I prefer the phrase and like the phrase the completion of his salvation. What God began... God will finish, Philippians 1 6 says. And this is what Paul's speaking of here. That's also what's meant, uh, that's what's referenced with the word goal or already perfect. It's this moment when you reach heaven, when you're in eternity, when you're with Christ, your body's glorified, and there, there's no more sin. It's presence and power and penalty. They're all done with. Paul says, though I know that will happen one day, verse 12, I have not yet reached that. I'm not yet perfect. Here's the next phrase, but I make every effort to take hold of it. Why? Why the effort? Because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So Paul does not here say that his effort is wasted. He doesn't here say that it isn't effort, that he doesn't And I'll even use the word try, but he's placing his trying in the right uh, area. It's not before salvation is not aimed at his salvation. It's because of his salvation that now he leans forward. He's making every effort to, to walk towards eternity, towards the day when Christ will complete this work of salvation. In fact, he even says, really, that the whole reason he can live with such effort is because of what Christ did in his life and took hold of him. Interestingly, the words, uh, take hold of, mentioned twice here, they're they're hunting words. And they were used often to describe a hunter who would uh, see an animal and then capture it, take hold of it. And so Paul here is using some pretty animated, some... um, Picturesque language to describe his effort as well as Christ's effort. Paul knows his work is sourced by Christ's work. Christ's work was first, Paul's is second. He continues somewhat saying the same thing in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. He's repeating again. And and it seems obvious to us, well, Paul, we know you're not there yet because you're writing to us. We're hearing you like obviously you're not in heaven yet. But he's just stressing the point that he's not arrived. Instead, he says, there's one thing that I do. So he's making a strong case that he knows his works have not completed, begun or been part of his salvation. Yet his salvation has sourced his effort and work. Let me say a word about this, I think, doctrinally for a minute. You notice in this text that twice Paul says he's not reached perfection. And so this does speak very clearly against a Wesleyan kind of mentality. Uh, some of our Methodist friends would hold to this, that your works do help your standing before God And you can do enough of them to where you could actually reach what they call sinless perfection. That's a thought in Wesleyan teaching. But Paul here clearly says to us, that's not the case. You don't reach perfection. And so this is why I don't hold to what they call imparted righteousness, which is where our works help our standing. They can actually help us get to a perfection kind of point in our walk. Nor do I hold to infuse righteousness, which is that our works give us better standing in front of God. That would be more of a Catholic view. We hold to imputed righteousness, which is that grace is a gift from God through Christ's work accessed by faith. And this is what Paul is saying here. Christ took hold of him. Uh, I haven't taken hold of it. I've yet to reach it but I'm pursuing it. It's the one thing I'm all about. In fact, you see that in verse 13? He says, this one thing I do. In the original language, the words I do aren't actually there. That's a good supply because it does speak of Paul's effort, and so there's nothing wrong with the words being there. But in the most literal way, here's how the text would sound to us. Paul saying, man, I have not reached it yet. I'm not there yet. I know God's got a hold of me. He's the one pushing me and fueling me. I'm all about one thing. That's kind of how the text would feel in the original language. And what's Paul's one thing? He says, by disregarding what's behind, the word is forgetting here in the text. It doesn't mean that Paul has amnesia. Paul's not saying he, you know, he needs spiritual post-it notes or that he uh, loses his memory. He's saying he intentionally disregards his past if you're wondering what I think he's referring to, I think he's referring to verses four to six of this chapter. All of those good works that he thought would be a ladder to heaven, he realized they were actually a ladder to hell. Paul wasn't working his way to heaven because good works aren't neutral. Remember, they're not in some middle column. Paul says they're a loss, That's how he considers them. They're negative. They're a debit. So if you think good works are making you better, they work way to heaven. Actually, it's the opposite. They are things that cause us to to depend on ourselves, and that's working our way to hell. And Paul says here, man, I, I disregard all of those things, and I reach forward to what is ahead. So he's straining in. He's leaning in to this goal of eternity, of seeing Christ Uh, in person of God completing the work of his salvation the word here for reaching forward would be the 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 image of a runner who at the very last minute of the tape they kind of you know put their chest out and they break the tape that's what's happening here Paul's saying that's my posture so I'm all about one thing by disregarding the past And straining and lunging to the future, so to speak, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling, Christ Jesus. The one thing Paul is all about, according to this text, is pursuing as his goal the prize. Now, what is the prize? Here's where I want you to circle some more words. I think you should circle the word prize as well as the word goal. You should circle the word it that's mentioned two or three times between verses 12 and 14 and connect all of them with one line because they're all speaking of the same thing. They're speaking of what verse 11 ends with, the resurrection from the dead. Or remember the $10 word, glorification. Or you could use more plain vernacular, heaven, eternity. I like the phrase, the completion of our salvation. That's what he's referring to by the word goal. I think it's mentioned twice referred to by the pronoun it, as well as the word prize. In other words, Paul knows that God's future resurrecting work, when he finishes every bit of what he promised in salvation, he said he's looking forward to that, and that's what empowers Paul's work in the present. This is where our works go. Watch this. They go after salvation and before heaven. So if you're wondering where they fit, where do we place them? Where do they go? That's where they go. And so Paul here is really leaning heavily on the fact that there is a lot of effort and energy and action in the Christian life, but it's not aimed at earning grace. It's actually a response to grace. Grace. See, this is what I hope's in your head right now. I hope somewhere you're, you're thinking, well, Todd, you spent two weeks you know, you know, holding a funeral for good works. When you buried him, you came at a strong, nose to nose, eyeball to eyeball. You had finger in the chest, put us in the corner like it's clear. You and our church, our brothers, we know that we can never attain a righteous standing before God through anything we do. Like, you did that, but Todd, when I read this text, these three verses, I feel like there's a lot of trying going on. Like, I make every effort, I pursue. Like, Todd, what gives? I mean, you were saying it's not about trying, but there seems like there's a lot of trying going on. I hope that's in your head, but that's an honest question right now. As I read through these verses this week, I had that same thought, like, wow, what am I going to say to this church, to our church, about all these trying kind of words? Here's what I'd say to you. Yes, Paul is putting forth effort. He's exerting energy, even using the word trying here. I'm not a real fan of that word in general, but in the sense of this message in the last two weeks, I understand There is a sense in which Paul is really now exerting, he's leaning forward, he's straining, striving, he's running, he's hunting. But watch this, it's because of what awaits, not to gain what awaits. His imputed righteous standing before God motivates his work for God. Paul knows full well that his work, as good as it may have seemed at the moment, It could never merit him any kind of righteous position before God. Good works never do that. Church, good works never affect our standing. They only display it. This is why Jesus would say, by their fruit, you will know them. So understand something. There is not a tension here in which we say well it seems like paul was saying no trying now he's saying we should try there's no tension or conflict it's a matter of placement what i call scriptural sequence you could use the phrase biblical balance works have a place in our experience but it's after salvation and before heaven and so as long as we keep the scriptural sequence in mind then we're We actually embrace good works. We know that God has ordained them. We should be about them, but we never engage in them in order to increase our standing or to gain some kind of favor with God. They're only done because of the power of the gospel at work in our life. And so they they represent, they display what we know God is holding for us, what he's done in us, and so we get to work. In fact, let me just read for you what I think is a beautiful description of these verses from a man named Hanson. He writes a commentary on Philippians. I thought this paragraph was a very appropriate description of these verses. Listen how he words it. I'll just read it to you. Quote, Christ's apprehension of Paul means that Paul has been captured by Christ, taken hold of by Christ, and Christ will not let go of him because he has been apprehended by Christ. Paul has all the reason, the endurance, the assurance and the joy he needs to pursue Christ. He's running hard after Christ with his heart wide open because Christ has already received him and arrested him by his love. Divine grace is the source and goal of the human pursuit. It's a really good way to just simply say that the scriptural sequence the biblical balance is always grace, then our works, and then grace. It bookends every bit of our spiritual experience, and we're not working in the middle to gain anything, to uh, to earn anything. It's simply a, a display of all that God is doing, and we're motivated by it on both ends. Let me show you a corollary verse it won't be on the screen but let me just read it to you that i think puts this same principle in even a more precise and i might even say blatant fashion it's first corinthians 15:10 paul speaks in this chapter about how he persecuted the church of god but then notice how he describes his change and this is a fantastic verse He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So Paul credits God's grace with everything concerning his spiritual identity. It's all about God's grace. And his grace toward me was not in vain. In other words, it wasn't useless. It wasn't powerless. It wasn't pointless. Something about the grace of God, which changed his identity, did something. Here's what it did. He says, on the contrary, I mean, in other words, uh, it wasn't in vain. It was instead purposeful. He says, I worked harder than any of them. Now, you couldn't ask for more blatant phrase about Paul's effort and action and energy than that right there. Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. So he's embracing works. I would even say, and I'm not a fan of the word, but, you know, trying, striving Effort, action, energy, Paul's saying, I embrace that. But watch this next phrase, yet not I. Okay, Paul, something gives. You can't say I worked harder, but not I. Watch this, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now, if you have a Bible and you see this verse, 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, you should circle the grace of God, that's bookend one, at the end is the phrase, grace of God, that's bookend two. And what's between the bookends of Paul's life? What's between the grace of God that's surrounding him? Is this statement, I worked harder than any of them. I love Paul's understanding and balance and sequence. Paul's not afraid to say, man, I'm striving. I'm going after it. I'm like a hunter. I'm like a runner. Like I, it's energy. It's action. I'm laying my life down. It's sacrifice but none of that's to gain something. And I'm not fueling that. I'm not the reason for that. It's all the grace of God. Man, that should be the church's heart cry. Amen. It is all about God's grace. But God's grace is so powerful and purposeful. It's not pointless or useless. It's not vain. It's instead victorious. And it comes in and conquers our life and moves us and motivates us and causes us to lay our lives down for the cause of Christ. Christ's work moves us to good works. Those good works display that God's grace is all over us and that's the way it then continues until we reach heaven And we see Christ face to face. So to answer the question in the simplest way, where do works fit? Where do they belong? Where do they get placed? After salvation and before heaven. They're the display of God's work in your life. What do you say we just kind of tie a bow on this, put a little simple sentence together that might describe these three verses? If you're new, we do this quite frequently. Just about every week, we'll have a simple, what we call a take-home truth, a simple sentence that I can put in your pocket, take home with you, and keep in mind, really, what's going on in the text. Here's what I'd say be our take-home truth today, that genuine, joyful Christianity, that's always kind of led off every take-home truth for the last three weeks. We're trying to see what is the gospel, what is a true Christian, what's authentic Christianity, and now as you think about where do works fit in genuine, authentic Christianity, here's what we know Paul is saying, the Bible's teaching, that genuine, joyful Christianity does not depend on our works in any way, but it does produce them in every way. It's the, uh, it's the effect, the display, it's the result of the grace of God all over your life. Now, I want to have a little fun with this for a minute, if I could, with you, to help you understand more about good works, give you just a little deeper insight into what good works are, and I want to do so by focusing on this word, produce. In fact, I want to change it. Would you with me, uh, would you, for a moment with me, take that, it's, it's a verb currently. Let's turn it to a noun, and then we usually say a verb like Produce. Let's turn it to, uh, excuse me, yeah, the verb is produce. Let's turn it to a noun. Let's say it, produce. Now, this won't make sense grammatically now, and it will sound weird verbally, but metaphorically and theologically, it makes great sense, okay? We can say this, that true, genuine, authentic, joyful Christianity, it doesn't depend on our works in any way, but it does give us produce, in every way. Say, Todd, what are you getting at? Good works are actually the fruit that God grows in your life. Good works are spiritual produce. You see, well, often we say produce, we think about a manufacturing firm. We make a product and something is produced. But when we say produce, you realize something is grown. It comes from a seed. And this is why good works are really referred to in the Bible as fruit. Because they are what's grown in your life from the seed of the gospel when Christ is the root. And when Christ is the root, good works are the fruit. Good works are the produce. Of God's grace of Christ's presence the Holy Spirit's power so I, I uh, when I thought about that this week I was like man that, that, that makes that, that, that unstraps all of the pressure off of me like if I'm told I've got to manufacture a product I've got to engineer and produce something I can sometimes feel the pressure like man I better make sure i got all the specs right But when I think about produce, I've just got to make sure one thing's right. I got to have the genuine seed. And man, if I got the genuine seed and the conditions of the right soil, man, that's going to grow. There's going to be fruit that will naturally, and should I say instead, supernaturally just flow out of my life. I don't have to work at it, it will just grow. God is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. We're the branches, John 15 says, and God is pruning and working and growing in us all that He desires from the seed of the gospel. That's what's happening in your life. So when you see good works, can I say pop out? (laughs) Or maybe I should say when you see good works blossom, when you see good works budding, Know that God is at work bearing fruit in your life. Spiritual produce is showing up. Hallelujah. I hope your heart is rejoicing with that even right now. As you think about the work of God's grace in your life, enabling spiritual produce to show up. How your life now is just all about one thing man i want to lean in and press on and strive and exert energy and act and i want to put forth effort so that more of the produce of the gospel keeps showing up as i make my way day by day towards heaven so with this take home truth kind of in front of us now knowing that it's part of really the previous two weeks as well and kind of trying to encapsulate the last three weeks, verses one to 15. So what could we say as concluding realities? I want to do an exercise with you as we close. And that is I want to just assert and declare three realities we know about true, authentic Christianity. About Christ's work and then our work. Where they fit together and how they're placed and how they connect. I want to make three declarations. What I want to do is ask you this. I'll read you the reality, what I'm calling a concluding reality from these first 15 verses. And then I want you to read aloud some verses that teach that in addition to what we've read here. I want to bring some support. We'll call these uh, like anchors that I'm throwing overboard to keep the boat in place on these important doctrinal elements that our works, man, they don't in any way earn us or merit us God's grace, but they do in every way display that we have experienced God's grace and God's favor. So let me give you three concluding realities. I'll read the reality, and if you would, as the verses show up, just read them aloud with passion together as one body in Christ. Can we do that? There's about two or three per reality, only three. Realities. I won't make any comments. I'm just going to read them. There'll be one I could review as well, but I think it will be a moment for our hearts to just be cemented even more with the truth of what the gospel actually is and how God works and what it actually does. So here's concluding reality number one. Good works contain no merit that obligate God to save us. Here's Titus 3, 4, and 5. Let your heart just resonate with this together. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Here's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Here's concluding reality number two. Good works are motivated because God has saved us and they're an offering to God out of gratitude for his grace. Ephesians 2.10, read with me. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Here's Ephesians 5.2. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. The book of Philippians echoes what we've learned. Together, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work, according to His good purpose. Concluding reality number three, good works are an ordained means that God uses to glorify His worth and amplify our joy. Matthew five sixteen together, church. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Titus chapter three, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Those realities are the very things that anchored uh, a number of our high schoolers about two weeks ago as they were in Kentucky scraping wallpaper and sleeping on the floor for a week, helping a sister church there and evangelizing and doing some projects. Why do high school kids sign up to go sleep on the floor, scrape wallpaper and the joy of the Lord the fellowship of the community. And so they go down there, have a great time, come back. They loved it. Genuine, joyful Christianity is knowing that our works don't earn us anything. But man, we love doing works because of what Christ has done for us. So we go to Kentucky and scrape wallpaper and sleep on the floor. Or some small groups go downtown Des Moines at the Friendship Center. They clean toilets, scrub floors, clean the walls, serve inner city families with man food claw, clos- food closets, uh, clothes closets and food banks, and just help. Week after week, we just take our turn and help with joy. Why? Because of Christ's work exploding, blooming, budding. In our life through good works. That's why seven of our college kids spent eight weeks, took time off work, or some even temporarily quit work and went to one of our partner churches in Central Asia. And they were involved in English clubs. And they learned whatever little bit of the language they could to try to communicate their name and meet other people with the hopes that they would help the missionaries there and our partners have more opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah, eight weeks there in a different country, new kinds of food, everything different. With joy! Because they know that those kinds of good works that are flowing from Christ's finished work, man, it's a witness. It glorifies God, it helps others. See, that's really the body of Christ, you could multiply that. You could, uh, you know, widen that out to the folks who serve here in all these different rooms. When you come in, the folks had umbrellas this morning, they're getting wet. You're staying dry. You can list any uh, area, visible, invisible, big or small. Why is the church full of joyful people who love giving their life away, serving, doing good works, because they know that none of those good works have anything to do with their standing. They've been given a right standing by Christ's finished work already. That's where the joy comes from. And so we serve with great joy. We lay our life down, we sacrifice, we give, not because it earns us anything, but we put forth his great effort because Christ has done everything already. And so church, I trust this next week will be a week in which you will live a life full of good works but full of good works with joy, knowing that that's your posture, that's your effort, that's your energy and action all the way to the day you see Christ. And it's fueled by the grace of God at your conversion. And so from conversion to heaven, may our life be about the good works that flow from Christ's finished work.